0: Welcome to She Said, She Said, the only program of rock and roll comparisons and contrasts. I'm Lena Stagg, the culinary chef and author of the Recipe Record Series, which is a series of four groovy rock and roll cookbooks that mix and blend rock history, facts, trivia, and photos with delicious and easy to prepare recipes themed for music genres and bands. To take a peek at these books and to order them for Mother's Day, which is just around the corner, go to my website at lanastagg.com, L-A-N-E-A-S-P-A-G-G.com, and sign up for my rock and roll blog and newsletter as well. And
1: hey, everyone. I am Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. It's a nine-volume expanded biography that chronicles the life of John Lennon, and of course, his mates, the Beatles, in a very highly researched historical narrative format, and I have good news for those of you who've been waiting and waiting and waiting to purchase the ebook of Volume 4, Should Have Known Better, which tells the story of the Beatles in 1964. It's good news. Are you ready for this? Drum roll, please. Yes, Volume Four is now finally available on Kindle, Nook, and every ebook format. So to order it, you can just go to my website, JohnLennonSeries.com, or to your ebook provider, whatever that may be. Jude
0: and I are very very busy these days getting ready for Beatles at the Ridge coming up September 20th and 21st. This is a free two day. Beatles Festival with great bands, arts, and crafts, food, and entertainment, including Louise Harrison's remarkable group, Liverpool Legends. Now Jude and I co-host the two-day Beatles Symposium, and it brings revered guests from all over the world. In fact, this year we are so thrilled to have with us one of the most respected journalists of the 1960s. Uh, North American tour, Mr. Art Schreiber. He was with the Beatles during that 1964 North American tour, and he's going to share his memories of that tour with all of our symposium guests on Friday night, September 20th, during the festival. And everyone is invited to this free symposium
1: Yeah, we are so excited to have him with us. He was with the Westinghouse Network and was really a respected journalist. And we are also going to have our featured author, Jim Birkenstadt, who is lovingly known as the rock and roll detective. Jim penned the Amazon bestseller, The Beatle Who Vanished, about the life of drummer Jimmy Nickel. And on top of that, Jim was also the historical consultant for Martin Scorsese's film, George Harrison, Living in the Material World. So, very fortunate for us, he will show that film at the symposium and will set it up for us and then after the film answer questions about how it was made.
0: And, Jude, on top of that treat, we'll also have a featured author, Ken Orth, on hand. And he is going to display his incredible collection of art inspired by the Beatles. He's going to give guided tours of his collection and share insights as well as other authors there who are Terry Crane, Patty Gallo-Stenman, Jim Ryan, poet Terry Whitney, musician Cameron Hicks, radio show host. Allison Boron, and Erica White of BC the Beatles, also a previous guest on our show. And our new wonderful MC for this weekend will be Susan Ryan of Fab Four New York City Beatles Tours. What a lineup of great guest speakers. You are all going to love it.
1: So guys, mark your calendars. It's coming up again September 20th. 21st, Friday and a Saturday, it is the time of your lives in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. Again, the festival is absolutely free, no admission charge, no parking, no anything, and it is full of wonderful speakers and music and all sorts of things going on for two days. Liverpool Legends' concert is free on Saturday night. There's just a wealth of riches to be gained in knowledge and fun that weekend, if only, if only you are there.
0: And speaking of knowledge and fun, we know a place where the music is right and the lights are always low. We know a place where you can go. And no, it's not Liverpool, England's Cavern Club this time, but this magical place is right down the street from the Cavern Club, just a few doors away. It's called the Magical Beatles Museum, and it is owned by today's special guest.
1: That is absolutely right. And I have been just smiling so widely that my face is about to explode because we have a great treat for you today. Our guest is a very special person. I met him a long time ago in the early 1990s when my husband and I went out to see Mona Best, legendary, legendary Casbah Club. Before, it, would, it was renovated and reopened to the public, and he was so kind to us and so patient, letting us ask questions and take photos. He is so warm and genuine and funny and just A great host to all who visit the museum. He is, without a doubt, rock and roll royalty, the son of the great Mona Best, who served as the manager for the Beatles after they released Alan Williams and prior to the time when they acquired Brian Epstein. Mona, as I'm sure all Beatles fans know, was a force of nature and a lovely, lovely lady, great entrepreneur, And so is our guest today, her son.
0: Our guest is also the brother of the gifted Beatles drummer, Pete Best, who supplied that exceptional backbeat for the boys from August of 1960 to August of 1962. And Pete is touring the world these days with his own group, the Pete Best Band, who are much in demand. But that's not all. He is also a co-author along with his brothers Rory and Pete, of the book titled, The Beatles, The True Beginnings. And he's the son of our beloved Neil Aspinall, who was the truest of friends to John, Paul, George, and Ringo throughout their lives. We are honored and most delighted to welcome to our show,
1: Mr. Rogue Best.
2: Hi, girls. It's great to be here.
1: I'm I'm just so smiling, Rogue. That could not be, there could not be a more beautiful sound than that Liverpool voice.
0: (laughs) It's mesmerizing for sure. Thank you for coming (laughs) on
1: today.
2: That's oh, We love
1: having you here. It's hard to know where to begin, Rogue. You've really accomplished so much, I mean, even since I just saw you last. So let's start first with the place that you were so generous to show us, the Casbah Club. And for those few people listening who don't know its role in the Beatles legend, would you kind of fill them in and tell them about the Casbah and then tell everybody how you restored it and what happened next?
2: well the Casbar coffee club for many years was the footnote in beatles history that was that was missed um you know for um a, a lot of americans Dare I say, it, um, you know, the Beatles began for the Ed Sullivan show, and then you you, you get a passion for a group, and you, know, you want to know where its roots are, where they started from. So they start gravitating, you start looking for the roots of this band, and then mistakenly, the roots of this band is accepted as being the Cavern Club on Matthew Street, which isn't actually true. The group started two years prior to that at a club four miles away from the Cavern Club called the Casbar Coffee Club. And the Casbar Coffee Club was started by our mother Mona. Um, She watched a program called the um, uh, 6-5 Special. And on that program, she saw um, a coffee bar in London called the Two Eyes Coffee Bar. And the coffee bar was the launch pad for groups such as... um, Oh, let me think now, Tommy Steele, um uh, mm-hmm. oh god, my mind's gone 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 black Jimmy <laughs> Nichol actually. Jimmy Nickel actually started the yep. two eyes mm. coffee bar, um a, a host of other a host of other bands. She was so intrigued that by the end of the programme she turned to her husband, Johnny Best, and asked John, Was there any rock and roll coffee bars in Liverpool? And of course there wasn't any. <laughs> so she says why don't we convert the cellars of a house into a rock and roll coffee bar? Pete and Roy and their friends will have somewhere to hang out. We can put rock and roll groups on. It won't inconvenience you, John. I'll manage it. What do you think? And he thought, over my dead body. That's not <laughs> going to be happening here. Of course, Mo being Mo, the work began the very next day. Eight weeks to go. She needs a she needs a band. She took uh, a young girl aside, which was really like the Casbah's rock and roll aficionado, a young girl called Ruth Morrison. And she asked Ruth who she thought was the best rock and roll group in Liverpool. And Ruth said that group is, in fact, the Les Stewart Quartet. Mm -hmm. No one's ever heard of the Leicester Quartet and the reason that Ruth recommended them is because one of her closest friends was in the band, a guy called Ken Brown, whom she brought to the house a couple of days later. Mo sat with Ken, agreed that the Leicester Quartet were going to play on the opening night. They were also going to have a Saturday night residency. Ken was immediately put to work. He had to start helping out, getting the club ready as well. And then Ken comes to Simo, he's got bad news, the Leicester Quartet split up, but him and the lead guitarist would like to open the club as a duo. Well, she said, absolutely no, no chance of a duo. She wanted a rock and roll band, and Ken panicked at this point, because he really wanted to play. Um, he said that himself and the lead guitarist from the Leicester Quartet, whom, by the way, was George Harrison, mm-hmm. um, could form a band in time, that George had a couple of friends who weren't doing anything. He was sure he could get them to the house the following day, which he did. George rocked up the following afternoon with John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Mo took them around the club. It wasn't finished at this point, so they were all still working away. Um, she discussed the deal with them. Uh, they agreed the deal. She asked John what the group was called. He said, well, in view of the fact that we've only been formed literally... Yeah. <laughs> Ninety minutes. We haven't we haven't got a, we haven't got a name. Uh, but he used to, but he used to have a group called the Quarrymen. they would yeah. used that name again. So they um they were all immediately put to work, so John did um Uh, a ceiling in one of the rooms so that ceiling he did like a a mexican aztec design on the ceiling so that room is known as the aztec room Uh, paul did a rainbow ceiling above the original stage area um John and Pete did these coloured blocks across the second stage area and uh, Pete did a, okay. um, a spider web and spider across the back of the stage John, Paul, George Pete and Stu did all the stars in the coffee bar <laughs> area on the ceiling there, oh. Cynthia Lennon painted a silhouette of John above the fireplace um, so it's, uh, the cast bar is just draped in all this Beatles history of course mm. the quarry men begin playing there, the Quarrymen have a fallout with Mo. they go storming off, she opens the door to other rock and roll bands, so then at this point she decides to go to Seven Nights a Week with live music, and Mm. playing on her roster were Roy Storm and the Hurricanes, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Searchers, the Foremost, the Remo Four, King Size Taylor and the Dominoes, you name it, they were playing at the Casbar Coffee Club, but still coming to the Casbar Coffee Club, even though they weren't playing there anymore, was John, Paul and Stuart, yeah. uh, and George of course. And they've now got an opportunity to go and play out in Hamburg. The group's called the Silver Beatles. Pete has joined up with Ken Brown. Pete started playing drums. They have formed a band called the Black Jacks who are very popular at the Kaz Bar. And uh, next thing you know, Pete gets a phone call from Paul telling them all about this um, chance of going out to Hamburg. This residency they had out there, um, and would he join join the band? So um, Pete auditioned, became a member of the Silver Beetles. Uh, off they went to Hamburg. They dropped the silver from the name. They arrived in Hamburg as the Beetles. I won't tell everybody about the Hamburg tale because that's not the Casbah tale, and a lot of people right. know what went on in Hamburg. Um, <laughs> but when they came back to Liverpool, dishevelled uh George was the first back cuz he'd been deported for being underage um Pete and, <laughs> Pete and Paul uh were deported for allegedly trying to burn the Bambacino <laughs> cinema down uh, John and Stu stayed behind in Germany uh, but at this point the band the band w- was all over the place you know there wasn't a band as such it, it, it had all fallen apart and Pete came to our mother Told her that the Beatles got really good in Hamburg. Uh, would she help them? Would she book them to play the Casbar? Would she give them a regular spot there? And would she look for other work for them? And she agreed. So Pete made his phone calls, wrote his letters, he got all the lads back to Liverpool, the Beatles reformed, and the first date they played in Liverpool, well not just Liverpool, the first date the Beatles played in the UK Mm -hmm. was at the Casbar Coffee Club on the 17th of December 1960, and it goes on and on and Mm -hmm. on. Yeah.
1: That's amazing, but when when we saw it, it was it really had fallen into disrepair. When did you decide that you were going to fix it up and reopen it?
2: Well, that came about um, the guys who run the International Beatles Festival in, in Liverpool. Uh, mm-hmm. They came to Mo. I think it was around about 1988. It, um, well, it was a couple of years prior to, and they, you know, we opened the Casbar, and she was no, 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 and they came, you know, the year prior, we opened the Casbar, we opened, and they charmed her in the end and talked yeah. around into doing it, and um, so we spent um, because during this whole time that the Casbar being closed on the 24th of June 1962, the right. last group to play there were the Beatles uh they uh john paul george and ken played the opening night and john paul george and pete played the closing night um mm-hmm. so they persuaded Mo to open up but from that point 24th of june 62 until 1988 it had literally become a storage area for the whole family you couldn't move in the club mm-hmm. it was literally like a rabbit's warrant and it took months to clear it out to get it ready for this event, and um, then slowly over a matter of time, it started filling up with items. And then I think it was about ninety-seven, ninety-eight. And uh, and what and what really, do you know, what really got my goat and sort of gave me the push to do it. This banner went up across Matthew Street, and I was walking down Matthew Street and had Matthew Street. The birthplace of the Beatles,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and and now don't get me wrong, the Cavern Club played a huge role. I say to everyone, it wasn't where anything started, but it was yeah. most definitely a springboard for the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, the the first time the Beatles played the Cavern, that show was arranged by Mo. She sorted right. out their first performance there. She persuaded the owner of the club, who's a huge jazz fan, because the Cavern was a jazz club, she persuaded him to take a chance on a rock and roll group, and um, he did take that chance, and of course he he, ne- he, he never looked back um, but months and months of clearing it out, and then um, it gets to 98 I see this banner across the street and I actually thought do you know what, If if we don't stand up to be counted somewhere along the way here People are really going to believe that it did mm-hmm. all start at the Cavern Club, you yeah. know. And uh, right. so I spoke to my brothers. They said, "Listen, if you want to do the push to open the place up again, fine by us." So I did, um, and uh, we opened as a as a tourist attra- a tourist attraction. I think it was 1999, and right. uh, we've proved to be mm-hmm. very popular since.
1: And you have one of my very favorite people in the world playing there from time to time, Chaz Newby.
2: Chaz, yeah, um, oh, he's he's just he's just a lovely, soft-hearted guy. He's a lovely gentleman, and um, and, and I, I, as you already know. Um, when they came back from hamburg after the initial trip stuart stayed out there with astrid he didn't want to come yeah. home uh, paul wasn't playing bass guitar at this point he was still on rhythm guitar and uh, they needed a bass player to perform and uh chas knew he'd been the bass player in pete's previous group the blackjacks mm-hmm. so uh, they asked Chaz would he stand in on bass guitar so um, he had to run around and borrow a leather jacket off somebody so he looked like the other lads. And he did he did, he did, he did, he did five shows as the Beatles' bass player until Stuart came home.
1: He did. He did. And I, he is just such a sweet person, really a delight to visit with. And I want to tell you, it is a delight to hear someone tell the story correctly, exactly spot on, without embellishment. I am just... So this is so wonderful. It is just such a delight. Well, your book, The Beatles: The True Beginnings, has been a godsend for me in doing research on the in the first two books of um, the John Lennon series. I've used it over and over and over, chronicling those early years of the Fab Four, and I checked. Uh, Amazon and some in different book sites, and there are still some copies available. So, tell everybody listening what sort of information is under the covers of this great book.
2: Well, again, Jude, it goes back to the whole thing of people. Believing that the greatest phenomenon, music phenomenon of of the last century and so far in this century, because we're all millennium children, you know, we're one of the few that uh, have seen the change of a century and the change of a millennium. Um, You know, and the Beatles are the biggest music phenomenon of that time, and 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 again because of this thing of. Hey, it started at the cavern, and so many other facts that were wrong—they were just wrong—and it was really, really irking me. So, uh, so I started writing. Uh, well, actually, how that book deal came about—I well, I actually wasn't writing a book. I was, I was. Cr- basically chronicling everything for the family for future right. generations and a friend of mine came up to liverpool he said what are you doing i said oh we've just been in the studio He said, yeah you're always in studio you know i said yeah, yeah. we're going on tour next month Oh, you are always going on tour <laughs> do so? and he, yeah and uh he said, he said he said tell me about something that i don't know i said oh, i'm chronicling the family's history he said oh, i'd love to see that so mm-hmm. i said we'll come over tomorrow and have a look at it and uh, he was—I um, don't know—I haven't see, seen him in years—but he was really, really high up with uh, Sachy and Sachy. And uh, he looked at all this stuff and he said, "He said you've got a book there, you know. He said you've got a few books." So I yeah. said, "All right." He said, "Do you want me to get you a book deal?" So I started laughing and said, "Yeah, go on then." And he <laughs> called me up. He, he called me up four weeks later. And he said, uh, "Yeah, I've got—I've got your uh, got your meeting. Uh, they're very keen. Can you come down to London?" And This is how nonchalant I was being about the whole thing. (laughs) I I said, I said, I won't be in London for six months He went you're not coming to London. I said no I'll I'll be in London in six months. I'll see them then He said well, what are you doing in six months? I said well Zach Ringo's son I said Zach's giving me some uh, free tickets and backstage passes for the Who gig I said so Mm -hmm. there's a load of us going down to see the Who. I said "Um, so I said we'll set off early I said, I can come and see this book publisher in the afternoon <laughs> on my way on my way to the gig. And um, so I so basically sat with this book publisher for about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, while my friends were around the corner in the pub, the whole time thinking, this is really, really taking up valuable having a laugh and drinking time that my buddies are doing. You know, what am I doing here? I should be in the bar with them. And then at the end of this meeting, they went, uh, "You've got a book deal if you want it." And I was, I was sitting there, really? Went, yeah, you've got a book deal if you want it. I thought, right, well, I better start writing. <laughs> better start writing properly then. And that's how uh, the Beatles: The True Beginnings came about. But as the, t- you know, it's hey, the title says it all: the Beatles: The True Beginnings. It really, the book really tells people how it went down in those formative years what was really going on how it really began where yeah. where they were playing who was on the scene and uh, and I'm glad to say the book became a became a bestseller
1: yeah it's a great book it's hardback it's gorgeous the photographs are wonderful it's color it has all the facts right i mean i highly recommend it to people and they can still get it on amazon and it is it's it is amazing so All right, let's get to the heart of the matter—the really big show, the Magical Beatles Museum. When did you get this idea? When when I was in Liverpool the last time, that shows you how long it's been. That was a shopping mall, I believe. That Lucy in the Sky restaurant was on the ground floor. Well, you've taken it, you transformed it, you've made it into this amazing museum. Tell us how it came about.
2: Um, Again, (laughs) sitting with another friend sitting with another friend and uh same kind of conversation you know what are you up to and i'm saying oh, i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm doing that and uh he said to me he said you know what Rogue? he said you always got a million ideas racing at once he said tell me about a couple of ideas that you've done and uh thought about but you haven't followed through now the gentleman i was sitting with uh mike was well it wasn't just luck he's a very clever man but well, he was a young man that got in at the beginning of the dot com thing and got out mm. just before the dot com broke. So he was like right. retired at like 24, 25 years old. And mm-hmm. uh, now, he tra- now he travels around as a, a motivational speaker, you know, inspiring people on how they can be successful. And he's chat- chatting to me, and I, I, you know, I said, Oh, I said one idea. He said, Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, Well, I wouldn't do that. And I tell him another idea. Oh no, 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 I can see why you dropped that. Yeah. And then I said to him, I said, uh, I said, I've most probably got the largest privately owned uh, Beatles memorabilia, memorabilia collection in the world. I was thinking about doing a museum. Um, I said, but I never seem to get round to it. I might. I look up and Mike's staring at me, and he goes, "You, you've got what?" So <laughs> I, 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 I say again, and he went, "How many years have I known you?" Mm-hmm. so i said well i don't know what four or five years he said you've never mentioned that so i was like no it's just something that i do and he went yeah. no that he said that's that's the one he said you you've got to follow through on that well that conversation was 11 years ago wow. so i decided to start looking for a building first building uh, and, and i also decided that it had to be on matthew Street Mm -hmm. because Matthew Street is the epicentre of Liverpool tourism, and it's also the epicentre of Beatles tourism. So I thought, it's got to be on Matthew Street. And the first building I went after, uh, the guy pulled out of the sale. Then I went after a second building, and uh, the people I was involved with uh, the night before we were due to sign, produced this contract, and said, can you sign that? And I said, well, what, what is that? Yeah, you know, and then when I when I started reading through it, they had a chapter there that basically my collection would be held in a in, in, in a in a storehouse of their choosing. Oh and I, no! And I went, no, no, that 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 won't be happening. And they said, well, if you if you don't sign that, we're not going to sign you know the contract tomorrow for the building. So I said, well, doesn't look like I've got a building then because I'm not signing yeah. that. So Good that idea. fell through then we got another building which i got gazumped on and then uh it was after the the gazump oh gazumping for the american audience <laughs> means that someone bid outbid me you know the deal oh, well was it. done and then they came along and outbid me um, so, and I gave up then, because Matthew Street, there was absolutely nothing left on Matthew Street whatsoever. It's such a busy street, it's such a successful street, um, no one's letting buildings go, and I was looking, like, all down and walking back to my car, and, and next, uh, uh, this, this voice shouts across the car park in true Scouse fashion, Hey Rogue, what's wrong with your face? Meaning you look, meaning you look really sad. And uh, there was a buddy of mine I hadn't seen for four years. So I told him. I said, hey, you know, I wanted to do this Beatles museum. I said, I've been chasing this dream for 10 years. I Mm -hmm. said, it's it's over. It's over. And he said, why is it over? I said, because everything's gone on Matthew Street and nobody's selling. And he said, I've just been offered a building on Matthew Street. (sighs) I went, what? He said, yeah, about 30 minutes ago. I said, who else knows? He said, no, 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 nobody. He said, he's, he's literally just called me about 30 minutes ago. He said, why do you want to buy it? I said, aren't you? He said, well, I'll buy it with you. So <sighs> he said, okay. So we shook hands and said, when can we speak to him? He said, we'll go and see him now. <sighs> so we literally walked back into town, back to Matthew Street, went and saw a gentleman called Ken Martin, had the conversation with him. At the end of the conversation, he shook my hand. He said, we've agreed on a price. He said, uh... I'm a man of my word, and uh, my word is my bond. He said, you're shaking my hand, so I want you to give me your word that you will not pull out of the sale of this building. I said, that's not going to happen. I said, but while you're shaking my hand, I'll throw all of that back at you, and I'll also add to it that you are not to tell anybody that this building's for sale until we've signed on the dotted line and it's transferred from you to us. He said, right. you've got my word. And then, and basically, no one knew we'd bought it until we'd bought it.
1: Oh. <laughs> That's so exciting. That's
0: great. That all just falls into place. So, Rogue, you know, Jude and her husband Rand and I are headed to Liverpool very soon, we hope. And we cannot wait to see the museum for ourselves. I have been getting lots of glimpses of this museum from Facebook and Instagram, which I encourage everybody to to follow, and we'll share those links later, but um, what sort of thing will visitors see when they first come in the doors of the museum?
2: Well, I, 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 actually, I, I actually designed the museum myself, um, and I sat on each floor. We, we gutted the whole building, then i sat on uh, i gave each floor a week where i sat there with a laptop and a, and a pencil and a load of sketch pads um so basically the first floor covers 1959 to 1962 and because all the photographs you see from that era are black and white and gray that all the coloring on that floor is black and white and gray um and obviously the memorabilia On that floor is from that period. You can see Pete's uh, premier drums. You can Mm. see George Harrison's Futurama Grazio guitar. You can see outfits they wore in Germany that haven't Mm. been chronicled, by the way. People think that they went from suits into leather. There was a whole image between that. And the reason people don't know about it is because they weren't photographed. Yeah, but there was a whole image to the Beatles that happened between the suits and the leather, so that's on that floor. Um, a lot of other items, a lot of items on that floor, and then you, when we go to the second floor, which is sixty three to sixty six, at the back end of nineteen sixty two, people started to see um, colour photographs. And mm-hmm. uh, and TV went from black and white to colour. So when mm-hmm. people are playing snooker on TV and they're saying he's now going to go and pop the green ball, and you look and you're looking at it thinking, but all of those balls look the same colour. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So, <laughs> they <laughs> all look the same. He's going to pop the green. which? What? Which one's that? They all, they all look the same. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the second floor is all colour. It's it's all mm. different colours. And on that floor, uh, well, funny enough, which has just fallen into our hands, we've had a lot of press about it. We have a, an NYPD um, uh, ledger, ledger which uh, covers the Beesles' uh, first time in the States, uh, oh. the Ed Sullivan Show, oh. Carnegie Hall, uh, staying at the Plaza Hotel. Uh, also on that floor is um oh, there's items from help. There's uh, uh, John's uh, uh, John's arm uh, military uh, regalia from Aww. how I won how I won the war. Uh, <coughs> Love it. There's the there's the gifts that Elvis Presley gave to them. No one ever mentions in any of the books that Elvis Presley gave them gifts. Why don't they mention it? Because they don't know, but wow. he did. He gave the Beatles gifts at the end of their meeting. Those gifts are in the museum. Then when once you've done that floor, you go up to 67 to 70. Originally, we did that floor all white because we wanted to have psyched- psychedelia moving mm-hmm. around the walls. And that's how we originally set it up. And then one of my partners came in and went, Jesus Christ. And I went, what? What's up? He said he said this is like some this is like being on a trip. So I said, said <laughs> mm-hmm. I said yeah I said that's exactly what it's supposed to be representing. Yeah. He said yeah he said there's one thing though. So I said what's that? He went I'm so busy watching the walls change yeah. and move around. I'm not looking at the items anymore. Yeah. I thought oh that's a mistake. Yeah, that was w- one mistake that I made, but we changed that so um, so we kept it all white but we've just got all these different beautiful still projections that change on the walls and oh, on that God. floor you can see uh, the cello from blue jay way you can see john sergeant pepper medals um you can see uh oh, there's stuff from yellow submarine there's items from their visit to india there's the mara risha's beads there's one of jo- george's zittars we we've got something from every period of time from uh, practically every album they did. It's all there, 50, 59 right through to 1970. There's wow. there's nothing like it, and we've said, and we stand by it, it's the most authentic, original, and unique Beatles museum in the world.
0: Man. That is, that is so, so spectacular. Well, you know, we all are... We enjoy hearing and reading the stories about your mom, Mona Best, and she she did some fabulous things. She was so before her time in encouraging the music scene in Liverpool. And I we were wondering, do you have a display that uh, pays tribute to her at some point in the museum?
2: Yeah, there is, there is. Yeah, and um, uh, in fact, um, one of my business partners was—he—he's um, he, been a, a school friend of mine since we were about twelve years old. Uh, no lie, since We were fourteen years old. We 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 met each other by having an argument in the queue for the uh, for the cafeteria and then beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> On, on on the pavements and then uh, and then we got dragged back into school and uh, got caned and put on <coughs> detention and we had to walk home together. And uh, we were walking across the field, and we decided where we where we going to go back up to the punch up that had been separated. And we both decided that wasn't a good idea because neither of us were really winning; we were just really hurting each other. And then we <laughs> carried on walking along, and then and the next thirty minutes of the walk, we were actually in hysterics laughing. And uh, he said to me, "He said, Hey, he said, do you want me to call for you on the morning in the morning?'" So I said, yeah, go on, call for me. So he called for me. That night he came into the house. Uh, Mo took a real shine to him. And uh, and he became, you know, um, he became a, a brother from another mother. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it was strangely enough, uh, his name's Alan. And it was Alan who said, listen, if we're doing this, we have got to have a section that's, yeah. that's, a, that's, that's about Mo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so we, so in answer to your question, girls, yes, there is Yay. a big nod to Mo.
0: Fabulous. Oh, that well. is fabulous. And and tell us, Rogue, what about your father, Neil Aspinall? He played such an impactful role in the story of the Beatles, starting out as their roadie and their engineer of safety and he remained with them through thick and thin and they were the best of friends Um, he went on to be the CEO of Apple in the 70s also is he represented in the museum as well
2: yeah because uh, a lot of the collection um, it started off items that my mother had had given me um, and then there was items that Pete had given me and then of course there's items right through the museum that my father was bringing back to the to the house because if you if you read the again reading books and this is like why I wrote True Beginnings to be honest with you and I've still got another two books in me that I just haven't got round to doing but I will get round to them I've got two other projects coming which I, I won't talk about right now but you, you're going to love them I've got another two projects coming uh, which we are working on at the moment um, but. You know those items coming into the house from uh, from from Neil as uh, as mm-hmm. well, and then and then I started collecting in my own right about thirty years ago, which is how the collection came about. But going back to books, you know, the books lead people to believe that Mo and Neil's relationship was a flash in the pan, and uh, and I was the result of that. Uh, the truth of the matter was, they were actually together from 1960 to 1968. They were together for eight years before they uh, split up. And eight years in these modern times uh, is longer than most marriages last. So, uh, yep, sure. so they were t- they were together quite some time, and they stayed friends. You know, strangely enough, even when they split up. They stayed friends, you know. Which we all in the north of England we find this quite strange. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely part of the north south divide because, you know, it, 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 in I, I see this all the time because I split my self between Liverpool and London, and I'll be I'll be at a party in London and there's you know there's Joanne who used to be married to Bob, but Joanne's now with Jim, who was Bob's best friend, and <laughs> and, 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 and and Bob's with Anne and uh, Joanne knows Anne from school and there's Derek who used to be with Cynthia but Cynthia's (laughs) now with Bill and everyone's really friendly and laughing and joking and you know hey we were together but we're not now and that's how it worked out and everything's good in the north yeah (laughs) if you split up with a partner that's it they're dead you don't want to see them again ever. Yeah. There is no way on earth that you are going to be in the same room <laughs> as them, under any situation, yeah. ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, so that's a definite di- That's a definite difference between the north and south of England. In the south yeah. they will, in the north, absolutely not.
1: No, because you're passionate people. You're pa- the north is where all the passion resides. That's where it is, you know. Well, Another person we cannot fail to mention is, of course, Pete. And when I contacted you about being on She Said, She Said to talk about the Beatles Magical Museum, um, we had talked about having Pete on another show, and, and you responded that Pete's taking a year off just to relax and enjoy life, and that is absolutely wonderful for him, but for all of us, we have to admit we're a little bit sad and we hope that he's going to be back on tour really really soon. Any chance of that?
2: Well, I have got some news because he he filmed me sort of beginning of December and uh, and there, I, there was all contracts pending that I was going to do at the end of January. And people who work with me know that January is when I sign the contracts and that. And I get, Pete says, hey, can you pop round to the house? So I go round to the house, everything okay? He says, yeah, he said, I've been thinking about it, kid. You know, He said, I've just been working and playing and doing this since I was like 16 years old. And uh, yeah, I'm going to treat myself to a year off and, uh, and travel and just enjoy my yeah. family. And I went, okay, yeah, well, have a good Christmas, see you in the new year, and uh, I'll bring those contracts around. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so in the new year, I walk around, and hey, here's the contracts, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, looks at me like I'd grown a second head. <laughs> and and uh, went, no, 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 I, I said to you like three, four weeks ago, I'm, I'm taking this year off. And I, I looked at him, I said, oh, are you serious? Are you really taking a year off? And he went, yeah, I'm, serious. I'm taking a year off. So I said, will you, will you play Best Fest? Because that's that sold yep. out. That's sold out. So he said, right. well, I'll do, I'll, I'll do that. He said, but that's all I'm doing. So I yep. said, okay. And then there's been all sorts of offers that have come in. He just said, no, no, no. And then I've just persuaded him to do another show, which we're announcing in the next few days. He's going to do an audience with Pete Best at the Magical Beastles Museum on Monday, oh, the 26th right. of August. Ooh. So uh, he, th- he said, so, okay, he said, one concert, one audience with. And then we had a gentleman who got in touch with us literally about two weeks ago and said, listen, you know, uh, I'm interested in bringing Pete out to the USA to do his show. So mm-hmm. I said, uh, I said, when is this? So he said, well, 2020, 60th anniversary of the Beatles. So I said, okay, I'll speak to Pete. So I went and saw Pete. I said, you know, uh, I said, this uh, holiday vacationing thing, time off. I said, is this continuing into 2020? <laughs> uh, sorry, it, it, yeah. And he said, no, no. He said, it's just this year. I said, oh, great. I said, well, there's an offer on the table to do a, a one-off show uh, in the USA. I said, do you fancy doing it? So he said, yeah, go Oh guys, oh, so I went that's... back to the went back to the promoter, told him and he said, Okay, so well what about what about we turn it into a tour so i said oh, oh i said I, I i don't think you'll do a tour, but hey, you never know I'll go and ask him uh, yeah. I'll speak to speech in a few days, and then I went and saw Pete and said, Yeah, but, but spoke to um, uh, Sky, that's a gentleman's name great name, that isn't it sky yeah. i said uh, uh, spoke to Sky." And uh, he's over the moon about you doing the date, and uh, wants to know if you'll do it all. So Pete looked at me, goes, "Yeah, we haven't done the USA for a while touring, have we?" I said, "No, it's been years. So it'd be nice to do it again, Pete." He went, "Yeah, go on, tell him we'll do it." Oh, yay! So we are we are going to come to the states in two thousand in twenty twenty, and we're touring. We're going to come and tour.
1: Do you think it would be too soon to start queuing up now? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, it would be nice it would be nice to come back, you know. Be nice uh, to come wow. back.
1: That is yes, so yeah. so wonderful. I am so excited. Well, sadly because I am loving every second of this, our time's almost up, but give everybody the information. How can they find out more about the Magical Beatles Museum? How can they get tickets? How can they follow you on social media? The whole
2: works. Okay, well, um, you you can get tickets at www.magicalbeatlesmuseum.com, or if you don't want to get tickets, you can actually walk up on the day um, and, you know, you can actually walk up on the day and come in. If you want to follow us on social media, the, you know, we're, the, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. If you want to, fo- if you want to follow us, you'll find us, and uh, And we're good people to follow because we take it seriously, but not so seriously that we stop having fun with it. Because if the fun was to go out of it, we wouldn't want to do it anymore. That's
0: true. Absolutely right. And and you can see all the fun that you're having in those photos that you're sharing all over Instagram and Facebook. I just I just uh in totally enjoy seeing those photos when they pull up. So thank you so much, Rogue, for being here. Jude and I will definitely be following you and sharing your posts, and we encourage everyone headed to Liverpool to stop at the magical Beatles Museum in Matthew Street. It's so conveniently located right across the street from the Grapes and the Beatles store. It's in the heart of all you'll want to see, a great location, so make it a point to be there. And Rogue, we wish you tremendous success with the museum and all of your other projects. And Jude and I will look forward to seeing you Merseyside in the fall and to sharing a pint or three in okay. as well.
2: You know we have got to go for the latter, don't you? There's no sharing of a pint. It's going to be the latter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, listen. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you both. I've had a lot of fun. I hope you have. I hope the people listening to it enjoy the show, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in our autumn. Your fall.
1: Oh, we we cannot wait. We are looking forward to it. Give our love to your family and anything we can do to promote the museum. You let us know, and we're there because it rocks.
2: So ah, thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Rogue. And you have a peaceful evening, and now maybe you can uh, can take a break. <laughs> uh, take care.
2: All right. Take care, girls. Lovely speaking bye. to you. Bye. Bye. You too. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Well, in May on the show, we're going to have a real she said, she said, head-on debate. Our classic comparison contrast format That we love so much. We're going to ask the burning question, Who had the better songs during the Let It Be era? John or George? (laughs) Jude predictably asserts that John wins the day with Across the Universe and gives these a chance. While I very wisely say (laughs) it was George with I, Me, Mine and For You Blue. Join us for a look at four of the great songs that were on the playout tracks as the Beatles wound down to a close, still as brilliant and creative as the day they started. So until then, here's to food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll. ta and shine on.